How to Beat the Racists, a workers' liberty pamphlet. What is fascism? In order to beat the fascists, we need to understand what they are, what fascism has been and what it is now. Daniel Murphy outlines the arguments. The first fascist regime came to power in Italy in October 1922 under Benito Mussolini. A more virulent form followed in Germany, Adolf Hitler's National Socialists, Nazis for short. Hitler ruled from 1933 until the defeat of Germany at the end of World War II. The Nazis were extreme nationalists, racists and anti-Semites. They were to be responsible for the murder of many millions of Jews, gypsies and socialists who were gassed in the death camps. How could such people come to power in one of the most advanced countries of Europe? And what, was and what distinguishes fascism from other right-wing regimes? Take the example of the German Nazis. 1. By 1932, the Nazis polled nearly 14 million votes, somewhat more than the combined total for the two German workers' parties, the Social Democrats, reformists, right-wing socialists similar to the pre-Blair British Labour Party, and the Stalinist Communist Party. The Nazis were not just vote-gatherers. They were also 400,000 members of the Nazis' paramilitary wing, the SA. This is what distinguishes fascism from, for example, a right-wing military government. A fascist movement is a mass movement of people who accept its ideas and are willing to fight for them. 2. Hitler came to power in 1933 with the backing of the big German capitalists, but the bosses had thought long and hard before giving the Nazis their full backing. In 1930, only a small handful of industrialists actively supported Hitler. The base of the Nazi party rested on the middle classes and sections of the unemployed people, of the unemployed, people who were being ruined by the onset of the third major economic crisis since the end of World War I. Three, the German workers' movement was powerful, but the politics of the Social Democrats, the real leaders of the mass of the workers, were not up to the job of solving the crisis in the interests of the working class. They dithered and provided no answers. The middle classes, the petty official, the small shop owner or trader, and the unemployed would have followed the lead of the workers if they had been able to believe that the Social Democrats could solve inflation and unemployment. Instead, they looked elsewhere, to the Nazis. Nazi anti-Semitism and hatred of foreigners became popular because the reformist socialism simply had no programme for dealing with the economic crisis. They too stood for the existing capitalist system, reformed a little bit here and there. Because the socialist alternative to capitalism, to slump and to poverty, had no place in the politics of the main working class party, the nationalist, fascist, racist alternative attracted the support of desperate people. 4. Like Mussolini before him, Hitler mixed anti-socialism with demagogy about the corruption of big business. He appealed to the anxiety of the middle class, who feared socialist confiscation of their property, even as they were being bankrupted by the banks and pushed out of business by the big firms. But Hitler's actual role was to smash the labour movement to bits and so solve the crisis in the interests of capitalism. The bosses backed Hitler because they concluded that it was necessary to use the most violent measures to defeat the working class. 5. Why did the capitalists hesitate? Fascism is an extreme solution to the capitalists' problems, and it is one over which the capitalists have not got direct control. Once Hitler's police state, 
had control, he also controlled the capitalists. Hitler smashed the German workers at the price of driving Germany headlong towards a world war, which was an eventual uh, an eventual disaster for many of the capitalists. What lessons can we draw from Germany? One, the workers' movement must provide answers to the crisis. The new Labour government is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Our anti-fascism must include campaigning for a workers' government, that is, for a general socialist solution to the problem which the fascists demagogically exploit. Two, Germany shows that you cannot trust right-wing democratic politicians to help fight fascism. From 1930 to 1932, the Social Democrats gave active support to a right-wing government under Brüning, but Brüning simply prepared the way for the Nazis. Organisations like the Anti-Nazi League are wrong to put Tory politicians on their platforms. The presence of Tories limits what anti-fascists can say about how to fight fascism. Three, at different times, the German communists tried to compete against the Nazis by using anti-Semitism and by appeals to nationalism. Leaders made speeches against Jewish bankers. In the early 30s, they made concessions to Nazi politics by talking of the need for a people's national revolution against foreign oppression. By doing so, they merely fertilised the ground for the mass growth of fascism. The nationalism and sometimes anti-immigration racism of the French Communist Party in the 1970s and 80s had exactly the same consequence. It fertilised the ground for the growth of Le Pen's Front National. In a similar way, the Little Britain anti-European nationalism of the British Labour movement helped the growth of the National Front during the 1970s. We need internationalism. We need a movement which will, for instance, campaign against all immigration laws, thus challenging the roots of racism of British society, institutional racism. We must rely for, we must rely on the strength of the labour movement, our own strength. The German Social Democrats looked to the police to stop the Nazis and for the state to ban them. The police were eventually merged with the fascist paramilitary organisations and our movement went down to defeat without a shot being fired by the workers' organisations. A state ban against the fascists for a short period in 1932 allowed the Nazis to present themselves as the persecuted and did little to damage them. After the ban was lifted, they rioted against the workers' movement, killing dozens. We must be prepared to defend ourselves. 5. Crazy politics of the Communist Party helped the Social Democrats to keep their hold over the workers' movement. They had a theory which labelled the Social Democrats as social fascists, a type of Nazi. What this meant was that they were unable to distinguish between the reformist socialists and the fascists. In conclusion, history never repeats itself exactly. Yet we are in the middle of a mass growth of European fascism, in Germany, in Belgium, in Austria, in Italy, and in France and Eastern Europe. It is likely that fascism will grow in Britain too. Many of the conditions exist. Easily scapegoated minority groups in society, an inadequate labour movement, a weak, often sectarian revolutionary left who make much noise but who offer young people no perspective of changing the wretched leaders of the labour movement and therefore offer them no prospect of a real solution. British fascism is still weak, but it can grow very fast if we let it. Hitler got only two and a half of every hundred votes in the 1928 election. If we do not learn the lessons of the past, we may well find ourselves reliving the nightmares of the past. Time is short. The Battle for Cable Street. On 4th of October 1936, the workers of London's East End fought and won the Battle of Cable Street, preventing Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists 
marching through a working class area with a large Jewish community. The main fighting that day took place between the police. 6,000 were protecting thousands of fascists and up to 250,000 workers, including anti-fascist activists from the Communist Party, Labour Party and Independent Labour Party, as well as Jewish anti-fascist organisations. The anti-Nazis painted the slogan, No Passaran, They Shall Not Pass, an anti-fascist slogan taken from the struggle in Spain against Franco all over the East End. After 1934, the BUF had turned to virulent anti-Semitism. They built branches in the East End but never overran the area. They were stopped by workers' action. Trotsky on fascism. Demonstrations are not enough. Quote, to bar the road of fascism, to bar it once and for all, it does not suffice that workers oppose it physically at demonstrations. It does not suffice to denounce its infamies in Germany and Italy. Today we defend ourselves against the rise of reaction, but to be efficacious, this resistance must transform itself into a struggle for power. End quote. Leon Trotsky, Conversations with a Dissident from Saint Denis, Writings 1933-4, page 292. Trotsky on Fascism Leon Trotsky, writing before and after Hitler came to power, tried to warn the labour movement about the policies of the then very strong German Communist Party, policies which proved to be disastrous. He advocated a policy of the United Front. His writings have a lot to tell us about the nature of fascism and how to fight it. Workers' unity against the fascists. Quote, no matter how true it is that the social democracy, by its whole policy, prepared the blossoming of fascism, it is no less true that fascism comes forward as a deadly threat primarily to that same social democracy, all of whose magnificence is inextricably bound with parliamentary democratic pacifist forms and methods of government. The policy of a united front of the workers against fascism flows from this situation. It opens up tremendous possibilities to the Communist Party. The social crisis will inevitably produce deep cleavages within social democracy. The radicalization of the masses will affect the social democrats. We will inevitably have to make agreements with the various social democratic organizations and factions against fascism, putting definite conditions in this connection to the leaders before the eyes of the masses. We must return from empty official phrase um, from empty official phrases about the United Front to the policy of the United Front as it was formulated by Lenin and always applied by the Bolsheviks in 1917. Leon Trotsky, The Turn in the Communist International and the German Situation, 1930. Note state bans. Quote, the struggle against fascism, the defense of the positions the working class has won within the framework of degenerating democracy can become a powerful reality since it gives the working class the opportunity to prepare itself for the sharpest struggles and partially to arm itself, to mobilize the proletariat and the petty bourgeoisie on the side of the revolution, to create a workers' militia, etc. Anyone who does not take advantage of this situation, who calls on the state, i.e. the class enemy, to act, in effect sells the proletariat's hide to the Bonapartist reaction. Therefore, we must vote against all measures that strengthen the capitalist Bonapartist state, even those measures which may for the moment cause temporary unpleasantness for the fascists. We have to take strong measures against the abstract anti-fascist mode of thinking that finds entry even into our own ranks at times. Anti-fascism is nothing, an empty concept used to cover up Stalinist, Stalinist skullduggery. 
End quote. Leon Trotsky, Bourgeois Democracy and the Fight Against Fascism, Writings, 1935-6, page 242. Bonapartist here means dictatorial, authoritarian. The Causes of Fascism. Quote, the magnates of finance capital are unable by their force alone to cope with the proletariat. They need the support of the petty bourgeoisie. For this purpose, it must be whipped up, put on its feet, mobilised, armed. But this method has its dangers. While it makes use of fascism, the bourgeoisie nevertheless fears it. Under the conditions of capitalist disintegration and of the impasse in the economic situation, the petty bourgeoisie strives, seeks, attempts to tear itself loose from the fetters of the old masters and rulers of society. It is quite capable of linking up its fate with that of the proletariat. For that, only one thing is needed. The petty bourgeoisie must acquire faith in the ability of the proletariat to lead society onto a new road. The proletariat can inscribe this faith only by its strength, by the firmness of its actions, by a skillful offensive against the enemy, by the success of its revolutionary policy. But, woe if the Revolutionary Party does not measure up to the height of the situation. If the Revolutionary Party, in spite of a class struggle becoming incessantly more accentuated, proves time and again to be incapable of uniting the working class about it, if it vacillates, becomes confused, contradicts itself, then the petty bourgeoisie loses patience and begins to look upon the revolutionary workers as those responsible for its own misery. All the bourgeois parties, including the social democracy, turn its thoughts in this very direction. When the social crisis takes on an intolerable acuteness, a particular party appears on the scene with the direct aim of agitating the petty bourgeoisie to a white heat and of directing its hatred and its despair against the proletariat. End quote. Leon Trotsky, The Only Road for Germany, September 1932. Oldham, Burnley and Bradford, the threat from the fascist BMP. On 26th of May in Oldham, there was a bitter, there was bitter fighting between Asian youth and the police. The riot followed weeks of racist provocation from fascist groups and decades of poverty, affecting both Asian and white workers, and a deep sense of alienation from mainstream politics. On the 24th of June, rioting began in Burnley. In mid-July, Bradford erupted. In both towns, the fascists had been active. In the general election, the BNP's vote averaged 3.9% over 33 constituencies. They scored over 16% in Oldham and over 11% in Burnley. Workers' Liberty discussed the issues with Nick Lowell's joint editor of the anti-fascist magazine Searchlight. The underlying issues, segregation, deprivation, alienation and racism, were similar in Oldham, Burnley and Bradford. Local issues made each riot slightly different. In Oldham, there had been a great deal of media coverage about an attack on a 76-year-old white man, Walter Chamberlain, who had been assaulted on his way back from a rugby match. The attack followed a report on the Radio 4 Today programme, which suggested that young Asians had tried to create no-go areas in Oldham. To some observers, the attack on Mr Chamberlain seemed to reinforce the radio programme's findings. A week after the attack, 450 Stoke football hooligans in town for a match joined up with local Oldham thugs to run through Asian areas, attacking people and smashing cars. The police intervened, but only to push back the young Asians. After the next, over the next few weeks, fascist groups such as the National Front and Combat 18 came into Oldham to stir up trouble. 
On the night of the major fighting, the Nazis were met by a massive backlash from young Asian people. Inter-community tensions have been steadily on the increase for the last few years. Racist violence has been increasing. But a racist tradition stretches back to the 1960s and 70s, when Asian men came to Britain to do the jobs that white workers didn't want, the dirty work and the night shifts, which became known to the racists as, quote, the packy shift, unquote. In Oldham, the housing is very segregated. This physical separation has helped the stereotyping of communities. The method of dividing regeneration budgets provides an area of conflict as poor white areas compete in the, in quote, beauty contests, end quote, with poor Asian areas for money. The Asian areas tend to be more deprived and money will sometimes be directed there, which helps to sustain the myth of, quote, preferential treatment for Asians, end quote a basic racist lie which sustains the anger and resentment of local whites. The British National Party has targeted Oldham, holding their rally in the local Conservative Club a few months before the rioting. Their agitation is a factor too. In the general election, they got 12,000 votes across two Oldham seats. Burnley was a bit different. There was a fight over loud music, a small incident that blew up. There was an element of copycat in Burnley, but here too, there had been BMP fascist agitation for the previous two years. In Burnley, the BMP took 11.25% of the vote in the general election. In Oldham and Burnley, the sense of identity and stability created by the mills and the old factories has gone. As a result of the decline of the textile industry, what's left is part-time, low-paid work, perhaps many miles away. Both white and black people are unhappy and uncertain. Bradford was a bit different again. In July, Asian people battled with riot police after a planned national front rally. The following two nights saw white teenagers take to the streets. Bradford has low wages and low spending, falling house prices and a degree of dereliction in the city centre. Six wards have long-term unemployment rates of over 25%. Where is the BMP growing and why? In the 1970s, the fascists had a strong base in the Lancashire mill towns. The BMP are targeting areas where they have had success in the past. Deprived white working class areas in the northwest, the Midlands and in East London. They are concentrating their resources. Often all white wards. They fix on all white estates. In Eccles Hill in Bradford, where the BMP held a meeting of over 100 people the day before the riot, the ward is 98.8% white. The BMP are presenting themselves as the voice of the white working class, while the Labour Party is writing off poor areas. There is a political void and in a few areas of the country the BMP are moving in to fill it. New Labour has ignored its traditional base. Worse, in some towns the Labour Party and the Liberals have deliberately ignored racism because they know that some of their own support is racist. Parallels have been made between the riots 20 years ago in Handsworth, Brixton and Topsteth, which involved young, often unemployed black youth, and these riots in textile towns which have suffered from factory closures and rising unemployment over the last 20 years. There are some similarities, but the differences are important too. The 1981 riots were in large part directed against the police. In 2001, in Oldham especially, there is a big element of white and Asian communities being in direct conflict with each other. This is a very serious, worrying difference. What should the left do? 
The BNP election results are frightening given, the we given they were able to get 16% of the vote in Oldham, with little work on the ground and only 10 active members in the town. It highlights one problem the left faces, presenting anti-racist and socialist views as a real alternative to the white, work to the white workers. The far left often appears distant and abstract. If we are going to beat the BNP, we need campaigns based on local issues. The left should take note of the BNP's policy, which is, in contrast to the left approach, to adopt a version of the Liberals' quote, community politics, end quote, strategy. They aim to systematically work in local campaigns and in tenants groups. In some areas, they do local bulletins, taking up everything from parking and dustbins to the question of the proposed local hostel for asylum seekers. They have set up a media monitoring unit which constantly writes to local papers and gets BMP members to phone in to radio shows. Contrast the Socialist Alliance campaign. It was very much based on rather distant propaganda. For example, renationalize the railways is a fine demand. As long as we understand that it does not have much purchase on white workers in some of the most deprived areas who need detailed answers to their local problems of housing, social services and jobs. In some areas, there is a real prospect of getting local fascist candidates elected as councillors. Stopping them is tremendously important. The BMP will now be able to capitalise on any council victories and use them to make themselves seem more and more respectable and give themselves a platform. The left needs to make sure it doesn't help the BMP to get elected by splitting the Labour vote. Although clearly that doesn't mean the left should campaign, shouldn't campaign socialist policies, and the left needs to consider its tactics carefully. Some groups have suggested that we need a big anti-racist march in Oldham, which would march through the estates. If that happened, it would be dangerous and probably counterproductive. Such a march might bring anti-racists into direct physical confrontation with hundreds and hundreds of white workers. There are roles for marches and carnivals and street stalls. But running a stall in the centre of town and getting a few middle class shoppers to sign a petition is the easy work. Going to Asian areas and telling them the BMP is bad and racist is also easy. The harder work is day to day graft in white areas in organisations like tenants associations. The key thing is to undercut the racist message by answering the real problems people face. The left must accept that the white workers in these areas do have real concerns. The BMP were in Sight Hill, Glasgow a few weeks ago, seen of many attacks on asylum seekers. Here, there is some of the worst housing in Scotland. Then a tower block gets redeveloped and, quote, outsiders, end quote, are put in. That is guaranteed to create great resentment. And to respond to this simply by saying, quote, asylum seekers are welcome here, end quote, is plainly inadequate. It doesn't answer the question the white workers are up in arms about, bad housing, for which the refugees are being scapegoated. Simply, telling such people not to vote for the BMP because they are racists often has little purchase. To be effective, we must couple anti-racism to the fight for better services, jobs and high-quality housing for all. And we must understand that not every BMP voter is a hardened racist. Whites vote BMP for various reasons, yes for racist reasons, but also as a protest against the mainstream parties, which ignore or patronise them, because they have been let down by other parties. Surely we need to look to the unions. True, but there's reluctance in these organisations. 
many of the unions are not in good enough shape to lead the fight. The work the unions need to do is not so much getting members onto the streets, but political education, plus providing a lead on the key questions of housing and jobs. How big is the BMP? How have they reshaped themselves? The BMP now has about 3,000 members, with 1,500 activists. In 1997, they had less than 600 members. The BMP have repackaged themselves. They have toned down the violent image. BMP sit back while other far-right groups, such as the National Front, stir up trouble, then move in to reap new political support. They are becoming a lot more professional. They have an impressive website. They use the media well. They are also being helped by sections of the media who give the BMP a platform. The worst example is Radio 4's Today programme. During the Oldham events, BMP leader Nick Griffin was on Today three times in one week. Two years ago, they realised that their programme of compulsory repatriation and the image of putting black people in trucks and of mass deportations was a real barrier to winning mass support. They've softened their image, but not changed their underlying ideas at all. The BMP, as a tactic, now says it will simply offer money to black people to, quote, go home, end quote. They stress that this would be a voluntary offer. But no BMP member really believes that any black people would be allowed to stay under a BMP government. Their 2000 manifesto states that jobs should go to, quote, white native Britons, end quote, first. On a public level, the BMP has dropped all reference to Jews. But only four years ago, Nick Griffin was writing that the Jews controlled the British media. Griffin wrote a pamphlet called Mindbenders listing Jews who work in the media and alleging the Jews controlled the media and brainwashed the British people into accepting multiculturalism. Nick Griffin doesn't believe that the Holocaust happened, and for the hardcore fascists and the BMP anti-Semitic conspiracy theories are at the very core of their worldview. Often his anti-Semitism is wrapped up in, quote, anti-Zionism, end quote. Because of the events in the Middle East, these views could become more central. It is important that the left does not play into fascist hands by using ill-considered, quote, anti-Zionist, end quote, propaganda. Searchlight. PO Box 1576, Ilford, IG5, ONG. Telephone 020-7681-8660. www.searchlightmagazine.com.